You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to another edition of Energy Insiders Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach, ITK analyst and contributor to Renew Economy. How are you, David? Well, thanks, Giles. And I trust all our listeners are also well and enjoying the podcast. And it's a hello to our special guest this week. It seems to be largely about politics and uh, uh, and we, we have a focus here this week. Yes, and we have a politician as well. Um, I would like to welcome Shane Rattenbury, the ACT Minister for Energy and Climate Change. And what exactly is your title, Shane? That'll do. That's a fine version. Thank you. <laughs> Look, thanks very much for joining us. Look, um, you're joining us because um, we've got the COAG meeting coming up mm. in a couple of weeks and where we're going to be discussing the National Energy Guarantee. And I'm really looking forward to getting your view um, of what your position is going to be and how you sort of see that playing out and what you need to be. But first of all, I'd just like to sort of just touch on something which has just emerged in the media this week. And my head's still spinning from all of this. This is the um, the Monash Forum, which is a group of um, coalition MPs possibly numbering 20, possibly numbering 30, which would equate to at least half of the, um, of the, of the coalition backbench, insisting that we make a government, big government intervention in coal plants. They want the end of renewable energy targets. They want the end of renewable energy subsidies. They want the resumption of coal subsidies and for the government to build at least one and possibly more coal-fired generators. Um, and it seems that even Malcolm Turnbull has jumped to attention and hopped onto the phone of the AGL chairman and um, urged them to sell Liddell to Alinta um, to keep it open. Shane, what do you make of this? Because this sort of really just sort of colours the discussions that you're going to be having over the next couple of weeks, isn't, doesn't it? Well, I think what we're seeing here is the, the last gasp of a dying breed. We're in the middle, of course, of a renewable energy boom in Australia. Australians are taking up renewable energy in droves. And what we're seeing is those who want to continue to champion the fossil fuel industry are are really fighting back to try and turn back the tide, so to speak. It's a, it is an intervention, I think, that is timed ahead of the NEG negotiations in the coming weeks. Uh, and I think the fact that we've got a situation where AGL wants to close down a plant and we've got all sorts of interventions trying to stop them, despite them having made that clear decision, speaks to the fact that this is about, uh, I guess, an ideology and a commitment to keeping the, the fossil fuel industry going. Yeah, look, it's um, interesting. The COAG meeting is coming up um, on April the 20th. Um, you're due to receive the updated uh, report from the Energy Security Board. Have you received it yet? No, we haven't, and I am hoping to receive it soon. We're at a very important point where, you know, really the federal government and the Energy Security Board have released those very broad descriptions of what the NEG is going to look like. Many commentators have expressed real concerns about uh, the way it's been put together. And so getting to this point of getting more of the details is really critical. If the Energy Security Board have done their job well and have listened to some of the feedback over the last few months, then there's, I guess there's some hope that when these new rules come out, we'll see a better design. Uh, but I am concerned by the politics around it and we may not see that, in fact, come through. Shane, do you um, do the various... Um, do you speak to the to the states as as well outside of the COAG process, uh, energy ministers, about 
about attitudes towards We do it. chat from time to time and certainly, uh, obviously, with this on the table being a major issue, uh, some of the jurisdictions have been talking to each other and, you know, I think particularly for those states with ambitious renewable energy targets, of which the ACT, Victoria, Queensland and South Australia have had or do have, um, you know, we've obviously talked together the most. Uh, with the change of government in South Australia, it's, you know, they seem to have really taken a position that it's a question of only how high Josh Frydenberg wants him to jump. Uh, but certainly there is a, a, I guess, a, a commitment there from those states that do have those targets to, to keep that opportunity open for us to continue to pursue them. Is there a strategy there to go forward? I mean, have you worked out what it is that you need to be able to advance this? Because we're not making a final ruling here, are you? You probably want to see, am I right in thinking that you want to see enough to approve further work to be done? Or is there actually going to be a red line in the sand there which you can say, if you haven't jumped over that, then we're just saying no? No, look, I think we're in this funny place where there's a lot of positioning going on. And just this week myself, I've been subjected to a number of stories and articles suggesting I guess an outrage that the ACT is the smallest jurisdiction might block progress on this deal. But we're simply not in a position to make a decision. We have seen some broad, I guess, frameworks put out there, but so, the details are going to be so important. And so we really need to wait and see what that's going to look like over the coming weeks. And, and, and if, for instance, um, it didn't get a go-ahead at, 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 Co at COAG, what... Is the full, does anyone have any idea of what a fallback position is? I think we're still some distance. I mean, a lot of people have seen this April 20 COAG meeting as the key point, but even the, the timetable put out by the Energy Security Board does not envisage that April 20 is, is the drop-dead deadline. You know, we're going to get this, I suspect, a couple of days at the most before the meeting. Now, obviously, we're not going to have time to analyse it in adequate detail. I... Imagine we might at the April 20 meeting identify the areas where there's agreement, uh, you know, tick those off and then uh, start to hone in on the areas that are seen to be problematic ahead of further Energy Council meetings later in the year. Mm. Are you worried then that, um, because you've expressed concerns about some of the, um, the, the, the components of the National Energy Guarantee, mm. which I've got to say have been shared by many in the industry. I mean, the, the submissions generally said, we'd like to see this work somehow, but geez, there's a lot of problems in front of us. And, and one of those, some of those problems are really highlighted, not just by the lack of emissions targets, um, the lack of definition about the reliability guarantee, but also the actual mechanism which people say fear would entrench the powers of the big um, gen tailors and, and effectively, you know, reinforce the oligopoly and, and the only thing that's going to happen out of, out of that is probably higher prices. Um, are you worried that this push from the um, from this hard right of the coalition is going to colour the content of the neg? It certainly does feel like that tail is seeking to wag the dog. Uh, we've seen the members of the Liberal National Party uh, holding this whole process to hostage for some time now. You know, we, we're at the fourth best option where we've ditched the carbon price. The energy intensity scheme lasted not much more than 24 hours. Uh, clean energy target put together by Professor Finkel, who did you know, nine months of work, talked everybody across the country. I think he came up with a very balanced approach. That got ditched. So we're now back at the National Energy Guarantee. And, you know, we're seeing again more politics being put together around that this week particularly. Uh, and I think that uh, it is very concerning. You know, what we're seeing amongst industry players and many commentators is people are simply desperate for an outcome. They're not excited by the need. They don't see it as being a good model, but they are desperate to see some sort of agreement. 
This is what makes me laugh about the politics. Uh, you know, from one point of view, the NEG was designed to take electricity prices off, uh, uh, not to, away from being an election issue. And, and you've got these guys putting it right back on again, uh, which which sort of makes me laugh. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 David, what, what are the things that you're going to be looking for? I mean, is there, is there um, at this COAG meeting? Are you going to be looking for more flesh on the bone? Are you going to be um, – you're not going to get higher emissions targets. Are you going to look for some sort of definition on reliability? Sorry, uh, Giles, I thought you were asking Dave that question there. No, look, <laughs> that was the awkward silence we just had, but we'll move quickly on. Um, That's okay. Yeah, look, I think one of the issues around the emission reductions target is it is simply too weak. And this is a point I've made in a number of forums now is that if we only take 26% out of the electricity sector uh, when it comes to emission reductions, this presumes a pro rata approach across the other sectors. And any commentator will tell you that is a highly inefficient way to do it. Uh, that the economics of that in terms of getting the transport sector or the agriculture sector to reduce their emissions by 26% is not only economically inefficient, it's politically painful in a way that makes the politics around the NEG look like a, a walk in the park, frankly. Uh, and so certainly the emissions reduction issues are problematic. And I think the fact that it provides a cap on additionality and prevents the states being more ambitious, the states and territories, uh, further exacerbates that point. I'd go further than that I, I, because there are no policies that I'm aware of outside of uh, stationary energy electricity for actually achieving any emissions reductions particularly. Um, and, and secondly, I would also say as much as getting more renewable energy in, if you look at it from another point of view, we still face the situation of all of these ageing coal stations having to retire. You can talk about uh, asking Alinta to, to get a subsidised bid in for um, um, uh, Liddell, but, you know, the actual physical difficulty of it, there's a $1 billion environmental liability, there's the shared uh, conveyor belts, uh, there's the fact that coal in New South Wales uh, is clearly becoming more expensive with uh, strip ratios in old mines up around 9 and 10 to 1. Well, there's the fact that uh, Origin has announced that Araring is going to close in another 12 years or so, 13. Uh, all of these things uh, point to the fact that what we, rather than uh, uh, trying to refurbish old coal stations, what's needed is a policy that ensures that uh, we get new renewable energy, variable renewable energy built, work out how much of it there is, get it built in front of the time when, when these power stations close so that prices don't have to go up and then make sure that we've got enough firming capacity behind it. That's what the plan should be. And, and Dave, I think you make a really good point, and that was the travesty of the uh, shutdown of Hazelwood in Victoria, is that that issue had been signalled for a long time and there was no planning around the shutdown of Hazelwood. And so you know, we all know what the impact of that has been in the NEM, and it's driven some of the current conversation, and it speaks to the fact that we need a sensible long-term transition plan. So am I sort of led to believe then, am I right in thinking that if the NEG does actually make, if the Energy Security Board comes up with a formula that sort of defines reliability, that um, enables to offer a path that doesn't necessarily sort of um, uh, reinforce the, the, the power of the oligopoly, I mean, it, it, are you still open to think that this, this is possibly a, um, a mechanism that could work? Well, it could be with some of those issues addressed. I mean, the bottom line is that we do need to make progress on the national energy market. We need to uh, 
uh, define new mechanisms going forward. Uh, so, you know, the neg could be anything. It comes down to the architecture, and if we can get good architecture, good policy parameters built into it, I don't care if it's called the National Energy Guarantee or something else. If we can get a good mm. outcome that provides that, you know, new supply coming into the market, provides the reliability and the security that Professor Finkel talked about in his report, then that's the outcome Australia needs. Shane, back in 2007, the Greens knocked the first Rudd carbon scheme on the head uh, and they've, they've kind of stuck with that. But I think a lot of us think that we wish the Greens hadn't done that, or at least I, I'll say that. Are, are you sort of prepared for the personal responsibility of, 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 of knocking the neg on the head if, if, if you don't like it and all the sort of, um, you know, uh, David versus Goliath uh, kind of... Uh, problems that are going to come with that? That has already started this week through a lot of the Murdoch press in particular. But, uh, you know, in terms of the CPRS, that debate can be had over and over again. And I think that it's become Labor Party myth-making now to suggest that it was the Greens' fault. Uh, You know, that was a deal that was inadequate at the time and could have been better put together. And this is the great challenge we face is the issue of addressing climate change is one of the great responsibilities of our generation. We have a job to do to fix this. And it's, you know, in all good conscience, it is very difficult to sign up to something that we know will not adequately do the job. That's the challenge that Bob Brown and Christine Milne faced back in 2007, and that's the challenge we're going to face now. You know, I have plenty of people, I had the climate council in yesterday seeing me, urging me not to sign up to a deal that sells Australia and the planet short, and that's what the need currently does. I agree with that. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. Let's get back onto um, your own plans, 100% renewable energy mm. in the ACT. Um, how are you going with that? Um, I mean, obviously, the contracts have been written, I suppose, um, probably um, more, more than a year ago now. Um, are you on track to meet your targets by, say, 2019, 2020? Yes, it's going very well, actually. Uh, all of the solar plants have been built. So the ACT has commissioned 640 megawatts of various projects under contract. As you said, all the contracts have been signed. Uh, The four solar plants have now been built. That's just over 40 megawatts of capacity. Uh, A number of the wind farms have now come online and the remaining wind farms are currently under construction and certainly all the latest reports I've had are they are well on track. Uh, The amount of renewable energy we are generating is increasing all of the time. Uh, And we're actually quarterly reporting on our website uh, the amount of energy that is being generated under those programs. And how are you going with the um, – now, you had a contract for difference. Yes. And um, how are you going with that? Because the electricity prices, the wholesale electricity prices around Australia have been quite high over the last year, as we all know. Um, you guys probably um, doing quite well out of that, aren't you? Because you actually get a refund of the excess prices. Yes, certainly. So uh, let's, let's say you've, you, you've struck um, – a, a, you struck a deal to buy, say, from Hornsdale for $80. It's not exactly that. It's probably a little bit more. But if the price goes above $80, then the excess is returned to the ACT government. Well, the excess is actually re- returned to ACT electricity consumers. The whole scheme is set up that it is a pass-through cost and uh, it is added to the average energy bill for the ACT household. Uh, what we have seen with the high wholesale prices is that contract for difference has worked to the advantage of the ACT. Uh, the the amount of, I guess, subsidy that's gone into the scheme has been reduced significantly by those high wholesale prices. Uh, and those quarterly figures we're reporting are showing that where in one of the last quarters reported, the overall spend on the entire scheme for the ACT was only around $100,000 for the quarter. 
Is that right? And I think just just while we finish on that, you've, um, there's also a plan to put a few household batteries mm-hmm. and things in. And how's that part of the behind the meter strategy going? Yeah, look, that is rolling quite well. We have committed to rolling out around 5,000 household batteries over between now and 2020. Uh, that's around 36 megawatts uh, we anticipate. And you know, I think the first stage is a little bit slow on the uptake. Consumers sort of have this sense, I think, that the technology is about to take a leap forward. But just in the last few months, uh, we have seen a, a significant uptake in the post-Christmas period. It's almost as though people have come back from holidays and said, right, we're getting on with it. And we've seen a real uptick in people jumping in and joining the program. So we're now up to around 700 batteries committed. And we're working with various companies in the ACT, including Reposit and ActuAGL, our energy provider, to run a range of virtual power plant trials that uh, some of the earlier reports I've had have been very successful. And, and Shane, I, I just want to ask one question about politics generally, uh, which fascinates me. Mm. I don't know very much about politics, but um, uh, I was just looking at the national vote share and I see that the <laughs> Greens have about 10% and one seat in federal parliament. The Nationals have uh, about 4.8% of the vote directly, plus something in Queensland, I guess, and, and 16 seats. Uh, I mean, there's something strike. Does that seem you've got a challenge there, haven't you, to convert your, your votes into seats? Yeah, look, the great challenge with those single member electorates is, is getting across that threshold, and certainly the history of the National Party and the way they have those rural seats where their vote is concentrated, you know, works well for that. That's why you tend to see the Greens do well in multi-member electorates where uh, the seats more accurately reflect the proportion of the vote received. You know, the same system New Zealand has where, and very common through European countries, those proportional representation systems do better reflect uh, the will of the people and the share of the votes that parties get. Mm. Hey, just another matter. Um, you've also made some initiatives on electric vehicles, and I think there might be another announcement sort of coming up fairly soon. Um, I was interested mm. to see that the um, and the vehicle uh, manufacturers in Australia are pushing back on emission standards. Um, this seems to me like very much following in the path of what they've been doing in the US, where despite all their big big you know, their big announcements about, oh, we've got all these electric models coming out, they're actually sort of pushing back on, uh, on, on vehicle emission standards on one hand have actually succeeded with the Trump administration. Are you sort of concerned about that? And, um, and what can you tell us about um, ahead of your big EV announcement um, that might be in it? Giles, you've obviously got great sources, but we are working on some new policy initiatives at the moment, and I hope to have those out in the next few weeks. Uh, we, you know, the, the big issue, I think, in Australia has been the availability of vehicles. At the moment, it tends to be people who are real enthusiasts and, you know, frankly, with a bit of spare cash, you meet some of the Tesla owners and, you know, they're not in it because they think this is just an ordinary car. They're in it for their enthusiasm and their desire to be in front of the pack. Uh, we, I think the big challenge in Australia is getting enough vehicles at a price that the average person can afford. Uh, and once we get that, that's going to make a real difference. I think model choice is very important. I happen to like have a station wagon must be the last person in Australia that likes station wagons. And, and, and you, you know, unless you want to buy an SUV at $180,000, which frankly is absurd for a car, you just can't get one in an EV. Yes, and I'm very keen to see government fleet uh, jump in early and take on electric vehicles. That, that both shows leadership, it gets more vehicles in the market and starts to create a second-hand market as those vehicles cycle through the lease system. You know, and for standard government fleet, we just need small four-door cars that can get our public servants around town. 
Uh, and, you know, we need to find some vehicles that are a reasonable price point for that because we have to make sure we get value for money for our taxpayers. I do remember, I do remember <laughs> Malcolm Turnbull, actually, before he became Prime Minister, visiting the Tesla factory and raving about the, um, the innovation that was happening there and his test drive in the Model S. What do you think is holding him back? And why has he still got an Audi or whatever he's got? <laughs> he perhaps just hasn't had time to get down to the showroom and check out the new vehicles. But there's no doubt those Teslas are a beautiful vehicle, but they're honestly out of most people's price range. You know, Obviously, I suspect the Prime Minister could afford it, but uh, not the average person. Hmm. Can I ask another question too? Because um, we've been asking um, Josh Frydenberg um, hasn't got rooftop solar. Have you got rooftop solar? Yes, I've had it for years. Um, I jumped in early when the ACT first brought in its feed-in tariff scheme, and uh, I just moved back to Australia, and I was able to. I got a new house, and I put it straight on the roof. I've probably got a bit of a smallish system, and it was quite expensive compared to what a lot of people are getting these days. It, you know, my, I guess it demonstrates the way prices have changed in recent years. Mm, indeed. Well, look, um, Shane. Um, we wish you good luck in your um, in your upcoming um, dealings with the Energy Security Board and um, also at the Coag Energy Ministers. I mean, are you sort of? Um, yes, it's interesting. I mean, are you worried that ACT might be out on a limb here? No. Look, I think that uh, many of the jurisdictions have real concerns, and as I spoke about earlier, we just have such a lack of details yet that you know, anyone who says they're going to sign up to the NEG at the moment, I don't think he's being really honest about that. There are even the conservative states, if you want to you know, make that political divide, are going to have issues around some of the details. So there's a long way to go in this journey, and I expect that you know, people will be striving to get an outcome, but we need to get a good outcome, not just any old outcome, and that's certainly the position the ACT will be taking. Good stuff. We haven't got round to the technical side of it, and, and it's difficult, but I think there are also issues about whether energy-only markets or capacity markets or uh, PPAs, uh, government auctions that, that the ACT government did so well from uh, are, are better mechanisms. I personally think that uh, some kind of capacity market, independently traded, I know it's been derided many times, but I, I think it's something that could be looked at again in this environment where a lot of new capacity needs to be built. Well, good. Well, look, Shane, can I just thank you? Um, Dave and I might just sort of continue our conversation about some of the other week's news, but um, if you've got to go to meet your next appointments, then um, we'd just like to thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks yes, very thanks, much, Shane. Norman. And we'll keep an eye on this, what is going to be a very interesting space in the next few weeks. Yeah, look, it's going to be fascinating. And, um, mm -hmm. and thanks very much. And if you can just sort of keep your line open too as um, just to make sure we get download your share of the podcast. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Good on you. Thank you very much, Shane Rattenbury, the uh, ACT Minister for Climate Change and Energy, um, joining us from Canberra. Um, David, um, we're going to have a big discussion about capacity markets. Um, I can understand their attraction, but I haven't actually seen anything successfully imposed yet that hasn't actually hasn't actually resulted in a huge sort of burden, um, in, particularly in WA. We've got, um, you know, there's a couple of diesel plants there which have been pocketing about $100 million and haven't actually been switched on yet. So, um. No, it's, it's just that I see that we need lots more uh, wind and solar energy for its low energy cost. Uh, and then we're going to need some firming capacity, which is likely to be expensive one way or the other. Or, and, and we need to get it built uh, in New South Wales in particular, uh, over the next few years, and I'm not sure that just relying on the price signals is actually going to get us there, and I don't think that rely, um, having a reliability guarantee is actually going to get us there anyway because the reliability guarantee is not going to show up the problems early enough, 
and the people who, the, the big gentailers aren't necessarily going to build the capacity early enough because they're perfectly happy to take the higher prices. It's a rational strategy. And, and so I, I just think maybe a different uh, way of procuring new power is needed. Well, why not have an auction system like you like so much for renewables? I mean, that's what they've been doing in Colorado. They've got some fantastic results when they bid for new dispatchable capacity. The gas-fired um, power plant proposals were blown away by the, um, by, the, by, by the cost of wind and solar paired with storage. Well, and Mexico would be another even better example, perhaps, uh, so that this, you could do that, but it requires a state. It requires a plan first of all to know what you actually go to have an auction for. So you have to have some idea of what your um, energy and power mix is going to be. That's another problem we don't have in New South Wales at the moment. There is no plan here in the state where all the coal stations are going to close uh, to, to to actually work out what the energy mix is going to look like. So that's a big problem. Well, it seems Giles, like wherever we're heading, we're heading towards an interventionist market. So you've got the coalition talking about let's get more coal plants in the system. You've got the Greens announcing, the Federal Greens announcing today that let's close coal plants by 2030. Um, that, that seems to be where we're heading. <laughs> and we've been heading there with that. It's uh, the old army statement, hurry up and do nothing. We've been doing this. This is the same way we've been heading and with no agreement for, for 10 years. I do have some uh, support for those people that hark back to the old days when we had some uh, centrist politics where, where people could actually agree on what was a sensible solution. But we seem to be a long way away from that just at the moment. And I'm not sure that a change of federal government will necessarily make the Senate any more easier to deal with or actually result in much faster progress. I personally would like to see a well-developed plan coming out of the AEMO uh, that uh, with backed up by studies of showing how that would produce an efficient, effective uh, electricity uh, uh, system for the 21st century, uh, that that would be something that would be a point of departure. Um, that's what I'd like to see. Uh, look, what's coming up in the next couple of uh, weeks, uh, Giles? I think we've got uh, this big conference that John Grimes has put together um, that just about everyone in the industry is going to be at. Yeah, the Smart Energy Council next week will be very interesting. Um, two days in Sydney, so that's going to be fascinating. Uh, we will be watching out for the ESB um, dispatch to the COAG ministers. I'm not too sure whether we're going to get any leaks out of that before the meeting, which is going to be the following week after the Smart Energy Council. So um, hopefully we can sort of leap seamlessly from a Smart Energy Council conference to actually a Smart Energy policy, but let's not hold our breath. And I'd like to see the household battery sector continuing to get a move on. I see that SunWiz is uh, talking about 33,000 installations this year. But we've not really seen much change in the prices of these household batteries. I keep seeing the global forecasters talking about car batteries and how cheap they are. <laughs> but when I go into the shop to look at the battery for the house, it still doesn't look that cheap. No, indeed. We'll get on to that. We might um, touch on that after the Smart Energy Council meeting next week. David, um, thank you very much for joining us once again. Uh, my pleasure and uh, great to hear Shane's views. It's it's very hard, I think, being uh, a lone politician uh, 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 and having the fate of the electricity system resting on your shoulders. <laughs> Indeed. And look, thanks to the listeners and um, thanks to our sponsors, What Watchers and uh, Solaray Energy. Um, please leave us some, give us some feedback, um, leave a review and on your flavour platform and um, tune back in next week and we'll be reporting back from what we find um um, at the Smart Energy Council, although I think we might have another podcast in between. We'll see what happens. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now.
Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.